The first reading then from the Acts of the Apostles, um, chapter 16, um, and it's starting um, at verse 11, Lydia's conversion in Philippi. I'm going to try and find it now as well in the book. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samareth, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen. A very good morning, everyone. It's great. It's great to see you all. Um, I, I heard it said once that every Christian should read Paul's letter to the Philippians um, uh, once a month or every time you get your hair cut. And I have read Philippians more than you would imagine. Um, actually, that was a really helpful video, wasn't it? Really kind of setting the letter into context and, and just reminding us that the, the problem in the church was pride and Paul really sort of emphasising that it's Christ's humility, Christ's servant heart that needs to be the culture of, of their church. Now, I wonder what place, when you hear it mentioned, immediately awakens memories for you. Is there a particular place you've been to or you've lived in or you love and and you hear it on the radio or it comes up in conversation and immediately, immediately there are memories? Well, for me, whenever I hear the word Paraguay, floods of memories and emotions sweep over me. Meeting Rosie there 35 years ago, the cheaper pastries that they sold on the streets, the young people we worked with, the camps we led, the laughing and praying with dear friends, the sunsets, the mosquitoes, the Guarania folk music, all the bikes that were stolen from us in uh, 15 years, the long flights back. Mention Paraguay and all sorts of memories will come and, and I'll be lost in a swirl of them for a few moments. And I wonder if for Paul... Whenever he heard the word Philippi, he would also have all these emotions. He, he, he wasn't there for so long, 
certainly not 15 years, but he was there long enough to plant a church, to establish a basic leadership structure and to build a close bond of love with the brothers and sisters in Christ there. So I can imagine that when he heard uh, 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 Philippi mentioned, he would immediately think of Lydia, who he met uh, by the riverside, and she was the first one to believe in Christ. Then he might think of the the fortune-telling slave woman who he freed uh, from, from her owner, and this landing him and Silas in prison. And then the earthquake and the jailer coming to Christ and being baptized with his whole family and then all the new believers gathering in um, Lydia's house. All these memories will come back to him. And you can tell, by the way, that he writes this letter. Philippi holds a special place in his heart, so much so that 10 or 12 years later, we're not sure, he can write a letter full of love, expressing his gratitude for who they are and all that they mean to him. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all, all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of our partnership in the gospel and all you mean to me after all these years. And last week, Helen kicked off our series as, as she spoke about Paul's sense of partnership with the Philippian church. We think that Paul was in Rome at the time, and the church sent this young man, Epaphroditus, to bring to Paul this incredibly generous gift from Philippi to Paul. Um, and, and, And so Paul writes about his confidence in them, that God will continue the good work and lead them to maturity. So this week, I'm going to carry on from where Helen left off, and we're going to look at these uh, verses that we heard uh, read. Um, uh, Chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And it's these words. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. So our theme today is a wiser love. And through this prayer, Paul seems to be kind of conjuring up an image of growth, an image of a a garden, The seed is love. And as it's planted and it starts to grow, it's supported by two stakes, by knowledge and by discernment. And then gradually a lifestyle of holiness starts to emerge. And finally, there's a harvest of righteousness of the day of Christ Jesus. So you can think of your life, of your spiritual life, like a a seedling growing up. So Paul is really talking about a program of growth towards Christian maturity. And, and his prayer is that this growth would take, would, 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 would take place in the life of every Philippian believer in the whole church there. 
and that they will grow in love that is wise and leads to holiness, a deep, wise love that leads to a righteous and holy life. So, a few moments on that word love. It's worth remembering that the Greek language has three words for love, each referring to a different aspect of love. So there's eros, which is romantic love. There's phileo, which is friendship love. And then there's agape, which is the selfless, selfless, sacrificial love. And eros is the kind of love that feels amazing, but it doesn't always lead to the wisest of decisions. Phileo is more of a, a settled love based on friendship, but it's agape love that's that self-sacrificial love, love that gives without counting the cost, love that puts the needs of others before your own. And it's this kind of love that Paul is uh, talking about. It's the agape love. This is my prayer that your agape love may abound more and more. I love that word, abound, abound. It means to exist in large amounts or large numbers. And it gives it a sense of, of something that is growing and continuing to grow. I want you to have a love, says Paul, that keeps on growing. The week before last, I was at a, a conference with a 150 clergy, <laughs> perish the thought, all together, um, for a uh, uh, Guildford Diocese. And one of the speakers there was um, uh, a bishop from Denmark. And he said a lovely thing about love. He said, love is like the loaves and the fishes. It never seems to be enough until you start to give it away. And Paul is saying, give your love away so that it abounds, so that it grows more and more. And then he says how he wants their love to grow. He says, in knowledge and in depth of insight. In knowledge. So let's start with knowledge. It's good, it's good to be knowledgeable. It's good to know a lot about a lot of things. We can have scientific knowledge. We can be knowledgeable about world affairs. We can, we can be knowledgeable about, about languages, about our profession, about nature and the environment. We can be knowledgeable about so many things, and it's good to have that. But the Greek word Paul uses for knowledge is this one, epignosis. And it's a word that occurs 20 times in the New Testament, and it always refers to the knowledge of the things of God. Often it has the idea of seeing right to the heart of the matter grasping something as it really is. And it's a word also um, associated with the teaching of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's talking about a knowledge of God and the things of God. It comes from a life rooted in Christ through walking with him in daily life. It's a knowledge of salvation, of the work of the cross in our lives, what it means to obey Jesus, it's also a knowledge of the spiritual forces that would push against us, that would try to discourage us, and of the temptations that would seek to lead us away from God and the things of God. But also a knowledge of the Holy Spirit that strengthens us. This is the kind of knowledge that Paul is referring to. 
So it, it's the good work in you that he mentions earlier in the chapter that he wants God to bring to full maturity. And it's a knowledge that springs from a life of obedience. Alec Matia, in his commentary on, on the Philippians, says this, what the Bible really means by knowing is not a mere exercise of the head, for nothing is truly known until it has also passed over into obedience. We don't really know about prayer until we've prayed, even when it's been really difficult to pray. We don't really know about, about temptation until we've seriously tried to resist it, even if, we've, even if we've failed at times. We don't really know about grace until we've seriously fallen and yet found that we're still forgiven and we still love. We're still loved. And we don't really know about love until we've had to love against all the odds when it's been really tough to keep on loving. So this is the kind of knowledge that is understood and learnt by obedience. I want your love to abound more and more in knowledge of God and the things of God. And then Paul adds another phrase to knowledge, knowledge and depth of insight, seeing beyond the way things appear. It's interesting actually to see how the different translations um, talk about this depth of insight. So in the NIV, it's knowledge and depth of insight. In the Good News, it's imperfect judgment. In the contemporary English version, it's right choices. The New, King's, New King James Version, all discernment. And the New Living Translation, understanding. But knowledge and depth of insight, understanding seeing beyond the way things appear. A simple illustration of uh, depth of insight might be, imagine that you're sat in your car, you're stationary, and all of a sudden, an egg smashes against your windscreen, and the yolk starts trickling down the uh, windscreen. Now, you can do one of two things. You can either, either focus on the egg, trickling down the windscreen. Or you can look through, through the windscreen, past the mess on it, and try and see how it was that that egg ended up being thrown at your windscreen. Was it some children playing a game and the egg was accidentally thrown in the wrong direction? Was it some uh, teenagers having a laugh? Or was it your neighbor who is angry with you and wants you to know it. Why did the egg end up on the windscreen? What's lying behind it? And that's what depth of insight is. What's causing something? You can meet people who you find actually really, really difficult to meet, not particularly friendly, and you think, I wonder, I wonder, why, I wonder why they're like that. And then you hear their story and your opinion of them completely changes as you think, gosh, what, what a hero, what you've been through. And I love that saying, everyone we meet is fighting a battle we know nothing about. 
And depth of in, insight comes when we, we find out what, what that battle is. And we think, oh my goodness, you are a hero. So Paul says, yes, I want you to love. I want you to love with knowledge, but also with depth of insight. And this can, can come from spiritual discernment too. A few weeks ago, we talked about the gifts of the Spirit and how one of them is, is, is the way that God can reveal to us through a word of knowledge something about the situation or about someone else that we wouldn't otherwise know. So Paul says, I want you to grow this way, grow in this. And Paul's prayer is that this knowledge of the things of God and the depth of insight working together will lead to the ability to discern what is best, which is really what we call wisdom, discerning what is best. Wisdom is all about having good judgment and making decisions that lead to good outcomes. It, it's always, if, if we could live life backwards, we would all be perfectly wise, wouldn't we? But we have to live life forwards. And whilst we do learn from looking back and we become wiser through our mistakes, you know, we say it's always easy to be wiser you know, after the event. Um, you know, was it hindsight has 20-20 vision? But the problem is we have to live life forward. And wisdom is that ability, that, 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 that kind of gift to be able to, to look forward and sense what the right choice is that will lead to a good outcome. Wise people don't often say much, but when they do, you listen, because their words bring clarity, they speak truth, they unlock doors, they, 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 they untangle complicated situations. And you don't have to be old to be wise. Incredible wisdom can come from children too. It's really funny when you preach and you're looking, you're looking for stories to tell, and these very obscure stories from years ago come to mind, and this one came to mind, but... I thought, I thought I would run with it. Um, I, was, I was with my friend Kev and, um, and, and his children. And uh, we were up in Manchester. And Rosie wasn't with me. And um, Mark must have been about 10 at the time. And we popped into a shop because I wanted to buy Rosie a gift. And... Uh, I knew she liked uh, Toblerone, and I saw some Toblerone on a shelf. I had a choice, and this was my choice. <laughs> do I get the big one, which is really quite expensive, or do I, <laughs> or do I get the little one? And um, I was kind of hovering between the two, the two sizes of uh, Toblerone. And I was about to pick up the smaller one when I heard this exasperated little voice cry out uh, um, 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 next to me, it's for your wife, silly. Get her the bigger one. <laughs> and I remember, I remember first thinking, who are you to tell me? And then I thought, gosh, you know, he's absolutely right. <laughs> She's my wife. He, he probably, in his young wisdom, knew that actually 
the cost of a fractured marriage was actually far, far higher than the cost of a Toblerone. He'd kind of worked that out. But I, and he just spoke these words of wisdom. And the funny thing is, 25 years later, if I'm buying something for Rosie and I've sort of got that similar choice, I still hear his little voice saying, it's for your wife, silly. <laughs> I don't always listen to the little voice, I have to be honest. But... Uh... but a bit like knowledge, there's, there's, there's wisdom that is beyond human wisdom. Yes, godly wisdom acknowledges outward circumstances, but it kind of goes beyond that to an act of faith that may in human eyes seem not to be wise, but you sense that God is saying, this is what he wants me to do. In Corinthians, Paul writes this, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I'll always, always remember Graham Cowdery telling me of the meeting at the time when this church was going to be built at the bank. And this congregation of, I don't know, 90, 100 people, do they take out a loan for a million pounds? A million pounds. Humanly, not, maybe not a wise thing to do. But Graham said it was the easiest decision we ever made. Humanly speaking, it was ridiculous, but we knew God was calling us to step out of faith in godly wisdom. So, we've had love that abounds and grows more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we can discern what is best, so that we can be wise with godly wisdom. I could go on and talk about what it means to be pure and blameless and grow the fruit of righteousness, but I think this is a good place to stop. So we're just going to be still, and I'm just going to ask that God would speak to our hearts about these things. Are we growing like that seedling? Are we growing to maturity in the things of God? Do our lives bear evidence of righteousness?